6.8 comes from the verse Micah 6.8, and it goes like this. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? You can join me on this part. But to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And that's the kind of church we're trying to be, a church of disciples making disciple makers, people who follow Christ and who are making disciples, so people who are teaching people to follow Christ as we follow Christ. Paul said that, follow me as I follow Christ. We're trying to be disciples, making disciple makers who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. One way you can help us do justice as a church is you can take the connection card that's in the seat in front of you or in the seat that you're sitting in, and if this is your first or second time, if you fill that out and check the box first time, second time, we'll donate a pair of socks in your honor to Northwest Children's Outreach so you can help us do justice in our community simply by filling out that connection card and putting it in the offering at the end of the service. We are in a series right now called Walk Humbly. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. And we're learning how humility plays a role. And if, I think if you actually take the Bible and you read through the Bible and you look at the story of redemption, you will see that humility plays a role in virtually this entire thing we call walking with God, this entire redemption story. And so we've been looking at humility, and we looked at the first week about how um, we need to be secure in our identity to be able to walk in humility. And if we don't know who we are in Christ, then it's gonna be hard to walk in humility because we think we are the stuff, we think we are what everything is about, and so we try to build ourselves up to make ourselves feel better instead of walking humbly. If we're going to ever discover who we are in Christ, we need to humble ourselves and exalt Christ to the highest place. That was the first week, and then last week we talked about what it means to walk with God, walking with our God, and how we have this God who has written this story over, over millennia now, over thousands and thousands of years, and the, he's a God who never changes. He's a God who was and is and is to come. He is I am, he is always, and he is never changing. He is always faithful. Who he is is always who he will be. He will never change in his character, and we sang about that this morning. He's a good, good father, and he's always going to be good. He's always been good. He will always be good. He is a good, good father, so when he loves us, his love never changes towards us, and the struggle that we have, we talked about last week, is we try to take our imperfections, our ideas, our our attempts to define God and put them on God, and they're imperfect, and so they never come up to who God is. We need to allow God to define himself for us and then believe that who God is is who he says he is, and that's who he will always be. God is God, and we are not. This week I wanna look at this body of Christ that we are part of. Acts chapter two is where we're going to be spending most of our time. It'll be our key passage. It's one that we've been to a bunch of times. 2.42, it will be up on the screen for you. If you don't have your Bible, we've got this big digital Bible behind us, and so you can enjoy that. Or you can pull out your phone and open up the Bible app and go to Acts chapter two. Hopefully you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, let us know and we'll get you a Bible. It's good to have a Bible. It's good for you to read your Bibles. It's good for you to be in your Bibles on a daily, regular basis. After, after we get together, you should go home and read through what we've talked about and make sure that I'm speaking truth. You should make sure that I'm not making stuff up, I'm not preaching from an agenda, but that when we talk about what the Bible says and what we say it says, that it actually says that. So if you... Uh, want to check it out, you can check it out for yourself. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is where we're going to be 
this morning as well as in 1 John. So here at uh, Acts chapter two, let me just kind of set the story. Jesus has just ascended up into heaven. He gave some final marching orders to the disciples. He said, um, therefore, you know, go into all the earth, make disciples. That was what he said uh, in, in one account. And then he, sa- then he says here, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then at the beginning of this chapter two that we have here, the beginning of this story, we see that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and Peter addresses the crowd who is gathered outside at Pentecost and, and he shares with them what had just happened with Jesus and then uh, they heard that the people in the upper room were speaking uh, in different languages. They were hearing them in their own language and they, were, they thought they were drunk and so Peter explains what's happening, what actually is going on. And then um, there's this great verse that's always an encouragement for pastors, verse uh, 40 of chapter two, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Uh, Peter was not only to the point, but he used a lot of words to get there, so if you feel like I'm long, just imagine what it was like to be under Peter. And then here we find ourselves, a little summary, Acts chapter two, verse 42, of this community, this new body of Christ that had just been raised up as they had received the Holy Spirit. They had seen Jesus, many of them had seen Jesus crucified, they had walked with Jesus, they they had seen the miracles with their own eyes, they had maybe touched him with their hands and they had been in the presence of the Messiah, they'd been in the presence of God who walked with us, They, they saw it and now they had just received the Holy Spirit which is what we receive when we put our faith in Christ, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit to walk out this life that he's called us to. So now they have the Holy Spirit and then we see this definition this this first definition of what this community looked like. And as you go through the book of Acts, you'll see it start to slowly change, and then as you go through church history, you see it changes more and more. But this is what it first looked like at the very beginning, this body of Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I've often shared with you that's been a prayer of mine for our church, for 6A Church from the, from the very beginning, that, that the Lord would add daily to the number of 6A Church, those who are being saved. Not just people who are coming to find out what God is doing here at 6A Church, but people who are lost and are now found, people who are blind but now see, people who are dead and now live. This is, this is the prayer, this is the burden on my heart, this is the burden on our heart as a church, that we will be a church where people come and find life, and find the life that only God gives, the life that only comes through Jesus Christ, and we'll see people on a daily basis, we'll hear the phone ring, we'll see messages on Facebook, we'll hear stories through email about how people People are coming to Christ on a daily basis that God is adding to our number daily, those who are being saved. But if that is going to come true, maybe, maybe part of our struggle, part of the reason we haven't gotten there is because of the community. Does, does this sound like our community? In a lot of ways, I think it does sound like our community. And then, as always, there's always room for growth. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. When would you say, when was the last time you were devoted to teaching, to the apostles' teaching, to the teaching of the word? When was the last time you could say you were truly devoted to it, or when is it just kind of this thing that we do because we feel like we're supposed to? When was the last time you could say you were devoted to fellowship? Are you devoted to the fellowship of believers, the fellowship of getting together and knowing those who are gathered here at our church? When were you devoted to it? We started this dialogue a few weeks ago talking about my 6-8 and how part of our role here at 6-8 Church is to take personal responsibility for what happens. And this is not just a community that I come and I try to find everything that I'm looking for, but I am a part. This is my community. This is my 6-8. Are we devoted to fellowship? Are we devoted to breaking bread together? Eating meals together is a biblical thing. Are you devoted to that? Do you make time for that? Are you devoted to prayer, praying together, praying that God will work in miraculous and wonderful ways and ways that we can't take credit for, doing things only he can do? Are you devoted to prayer? Are we in awe at what God is doing? Are we in awe at the miracles that we see happening around us? Are we in awe at what we see happening in the lives of people who are getting changed, who are experiencing Christ for the first time, whose lives are being redirected and, and put back? Are we in awe of what God is doing? And then look at how radical, I mean, you think that's radical. Listen to how radical it gets from that point. All believers were together and they had everything in common. So they were all basically living together, they maybe not all in the same house, probably most certainly not all in the same house, but living together, they were together, they were sharing things. What's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. They sold property and possessions to give to those who had need. Every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, what does this have to do with walking humbly? What does this have to do with humility? Well, I'm glad you asked. I've been waiting to answer that question all week. And I would just want to lay this down. I think it's impossible to be proud and to be in community at the same time. To be in true community takes humility. If we want to find what community looks like, we need to walk humbly. And I want to kind of break that down this morning as we walk through it. It takes humility to be in community. It takes humility to be in community. But I think a lot of ways in our culture, in our day and age, what, what has happened, kind of what we struggle with is that we, we have pride in a lot of different areas, and I'm gonna break some of those down. And we have this pride, though, that keeps us, that kind of keeps up the walls, keeps up the facade so that we're protecting ourselves and our image to those who are gathered around us so we never actually experience true, authentic, life-giving, Christ-centered, Christ-like community because we're trying to keep our front up. We're trying to keep looks up. But if you look at it, it requires humility. It requires humility. There are four things that I think that require humility. The first one is it requires humility to be authentic. If we're going to be authentic and let people learn from our lives, we need to be humble. And when we're not humble, then we kind of we don't want to 
expose some of the struggles and some of the hurt and some of the pain. So pride keeps us from being real with people. Pride keeps us from sharing our struggles and letting people come and see behind the curtain. But when we walk humbly, that all changes. So when we're walking humbly with each other, we realize there isn't an appearance to keep up. And that we might be able to help someone else who is struggling by being authentic and sharing with them where we have come from, where God has brought us out of, and where God is leading us to. If we are authentic and we allow people to see behind the curtain and see some of that stuff, then people, I think, will be encouraged. We will find community. So we need to realize we're actually hurting others by keeping up our facades and our appearances and our fronts. We're not just protecting ourselves. In fact, we're not protecting ourselves. And in trying to protect ourselves, we're hurting the others around us because they don't see what God is doing. And we start teaching people that if you don't measure up to the front that I'm putting on, the facade that I'm wearing, if you don't measure up to who I pretend to be, then you're not good enough. And you don't belong here. It takes humility to be in community. The second thing is it takes humility not to judge others. It takes humility not to judge others. Pride looks at others and judges them for their brokenness. Pride compares ourselves with others and looks for ways that we're better than them. This is what pride does. Pride, pride says, oh, I've got it all together. I've got it all figured out. And look at the areas of brokenness I can point out and see in others and I can make myself feel better about who I am because I see the brokenness and I don't have that same struggle. That's what pride does. But when we're walking humbly, Not only do we not judge, we don't have a need to judge. When we're walking humbly, we don't, we don't need to look at others because we recognize our own humanity and our own imperfections. And if it were not for the grace of Jesus Christ and, and his coming and walking for us, we would have no hope. But because we are covered in the righteousness of Christ, now we walk the way that we walk and it is only by the power of God that we walk in this way. It has nothing to do with what we have done. It is only with what God has done and what the Holy Spirit is empowering us to do. This is what the church new in the beginning, and I think we're struggling with today. So it takes humility to be authentic, it takes humility not to judge others, it takes humi humility to be selfless and not selfish. It takes humility to be selfless and not selfish. See, selfishness approaches community with what I can get out of it. Selfishness would, would wake up on a Sunday morning and say, okay, I'm gonna to go to church and I need to get this, this, and this out of church this morning or I'm never going back. Selfishness approaches the community, this body of Christ, and saying, if my needs aren't being met, then I'm done, I'm out. If you're not meeting my needs and if you aren't fulfilling what I expect to be happening as a church, then, then I'm done. But we gotta walk in humility and be selfless. See, selflessness, selflessness approaches community for what I bring to it. Selflessness approaches community and says, I know that God is working in me. I know that God is changing me. I know that God is molding me. And I know that God is shaping me. I know that God has made me with strengths and abilities and talents and skills. And God wants me to bring those into this community. God is using me to shine his light outside of this place. And when we come together, I encourage others by who I am in Christ and who God has made me to be, not who I used to be, but who he is shaping me to be now, who I will be in the future. This is what I bring into the community. And when I bring that into the community, I'm not bringing it for myself, I'm bringing it for the encouragement of the body. It takes humility to walk that way. 
And if we find ourselves walking out of a time with community, not just on a Sunday morning, but when we're gathered together for fellowship of believers and we find ourselves not getting what we want out of it, then we need to take a step back and say, I need to walk humbly. Humility to be authentic, humility not to judge, humility to be selfless, humility to walk unoffendably instead of being easily offended. I'm gonna push on a button here this morning and uh, I want you to know that I'm doing it out of love. When we're easily offended, I think it's because we're completely wrapped up in the presentation of ourselves. And when we are easily offended, I think it's because we, are, we have defined our reality. We have defined what should be, right? We, just like I talked about, we have defined who God should be, and when God is not who we think he should be, then we get mad at God, even though it's our definition that's not meeting up and not God, because God is always who God has always been. But with that comes this, this definition of who we are based on our own selves. So we define our worlds. We define everything that happens around us, right? And when we're walking this way, then anything that comes in and says that that's wrong or that's not right, that's not how you're supposed to be, that's not how it should be, this isn't that or that's not this, then we take it personally, we take it deeply personal because we have written the definitions. And this is where I think things are really struggling and breaking down, not just in this part of the world, but in all of the church is when we start to define things, when we start to use our ideas, when we start to use our intellect, our, well, this is the way things should be, we're going to struggle. We are always going to be dissatisfied because we cannot possibly define things the way God has defined them. So we get offended and we get easily offended and we walk away because, well, you offended me because you're not living up to my definitions. So when someone sees a flaw in our lives, when they see some kind of brokenness or they see something that's not working right, well, we get offended at it. We get offended at the person because, well, we're perfect. You know, this, is, this is who I think I'm supposed to be. This is, this is how I've defined reality for me right now and how dare you come against my reality. This is who I am. How dare you step into that and say that you're wrong? I'm not wrong. You're wrong. And so we get offended and we walk away. When someone sees a fault in our definition of reality, we take it personal because they're not just attacking a definition. They're attacking us. And that's how it feels because that's how it is. It feels personal because we've made it personal. It's not supposed to be personal. It's supposed to be defined by who God says we are, but we've made it personal. Instead, we need to walk humbly in who God says that we are. And God says much, much different things than we say about ourselves. God says much different things than what we say. God has defined us a lot differently than the world is trying to define us. God has a much more holistic definition We need to let God do the defining. 
Someone texted in, humility to speak the truth in love. Yes, we need to speak the truth in love. What God says is true is true for all times, and it is for our good, it is for our benefit. It's actually because he loves us that he says the truth. Did you know that? It's because he loves us that he says what's right. It's because he loves us that he wants us to walk in his ways. It's because he loves us that that he wants to shine the light into the darkest areas of our life. It's because of his love. And when we are walking with Christ, when we are walking in Christ, we are walking in true community and we're walking being the body of Christ, then we realize that when we come together, when we are gathered together as the body of Christ, that it is covered in the love of God. And when we are, when we are walking with one another and someone says, oh, I noticed this or I see this or, or what do you think about that, then we don't take it personally because we realize that this is God's work that is being done here. He is, he is refining us. He is chipping off the parts of us that don't need to be there anymore and he's replacing them with his righteousness, with his holiness. Takes humility though to walk that way. Takes humility to be in community. I think we've gotten off track a lot of ways in our definition and the purpose of what this community is supposed to be. Not, not, not hammering down on us at 6-8 Church. I'm just talking culturally as, as Christianity and America. I think we've kind of gotten off track on what we think the purpose of this community is. And so let me ask, if you want to text him in, I've got, I've got some few things here, but how have, what, are some of the, what are some of the false thinking that we have attached to community? What is some of the false thinking that we've attached to the definition of biblical community? What are some of the false ideas, the false expectations, the false facade kind of driven things that we have attached to this biblical idea of community? If you have an answer for that, go ahead and text it in, and I want to share with you some of mine while you're thinking. See, the purpose of this community is is not sin management time. That's convenient and easy. Community is not easy. Community takes work. And it's not always convenient. It's not always going to work into our schedules. Uh, Commune living, cultish. Yeah, we're not going to be a cult. Put you put you at rest there. I'm not I'm not going to finish this sermon with asking you to sign your deeds over to the church and We've attached some, some unrealistic, unchristlike standards for what this community is supposed to be. It's not sin management time. It's not so that we can come in and try to deal with your sin for a little bit for another week. We're not responsible for one another. That's a good one. Each one should look out for their own wellness and walking alone. Walking with the Lord is your personal responsibility. That's a false idea. The community should be convenient. If you're not, if you're not meeting in my schedule that's something that works according to me, well, then I'm not going to come. I'm not going to be a part of it. If it's not convenient and easy, then, then I'm out. It's not so that I can make sure that you're perfect each week and so you don't go out there and embarrass me during the week. 
That's not my aim on a Sunday. I'm not trying to protect my image by sending you out of this place with, with perfection, with perfect standards. It's not a time for me to come in and slap your wrists and make you feel guilty. It's not a time for you to feel better about yourself to, so because you got your weekly dose of religion, you got your Jesus in, and I can go on and live like hell the rest of the week. It's not about traditions and customs. There are traditions and customs, but that's not the purpose of this body. It's not even about ethics and morals. There are ethics and morals that God calls us to live up to, but that is not the, the base purpose. It's not about performance. It's not about getting the band together to perform at a certain level for you so that you feel good about it and you get something out of it. It's not for me to be motivational. If I'm not motivating you, then you're going to walk out and find somebody else. This, this isn't the point of church. It's not about going to church because that's just, well, that's what you do in America. We go to church. This is, this is not the purpose of this community. Some of those are bad things. Some of those are good things that have become put in the wrong order. What is the purpose then? What is the purpose of this community? Well, I think to start, the purpose of this community is love. Radical, unconditional love. Loving like we have been loved. See, we gather around the perfect, complete love of Jesus Christ. This is what we gather around. We're not gathering around because I'm here. We're not gathering together because, well, this is just what's closest or this is the church that has the best music. This isn't why we're gathering together. We're gathering around the complete and perfect love of Jesus Christ. And this is what people are drawn to. People are not drawn to our ability to live perfectly moral and ethical lives. People are drawn to Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is what draws people into the kingdom. Radical, unconditional love. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. By the way, you should go read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this afternoon. Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all. That those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels us because Christ died for us and therefore we died with Christ when we put our faith in him. And because we died to the old, because we died to what was, now we are who, what, who and what God and Christ says we are. So therefore, what, because our old selves died, because who we were is now dead, who we are is in Christ and who and what Christ says we are. And so if that is the definition of who we are, then we need to pay attention to what God says. And what does he say? He says, he died for all and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. When we come together on a Sunday morning, when we come together as the body of Christ, the purpose is not so that you feel good. The purpose is because we're all dead and now made alive in Christ. Now we come together for Christ. 
Christ draws us together. Christ unites us. Christ brings us all on the same plane. Christ brings us all under the same grace. It is all unity in Christ. We are united by the love of Christ. This is who we are as a church. purpose is love, the purpose is light. Some people have been sending in purpose of this body, the purpose is lifting up the body to him. Purpose is holding each other up in this world, in a world that lives completely opposite from, the, from biblical truth. I hope you're ready, by the way. This is, this is not in the sermon, but this is not in my notes. I hope you're ready to follow Christ. And I especially hope you're ready to follow Christ in a world that has kind of let that go as being the hub around which we're all centered. I think in a lot of ways we're gonna really find out who the true followers of Jesus Christ are in the next decade, in the next generation because it's no longer the cultural norm, it's no longer even culturally acceptable to be a Christ follower. And I think it's going to become much more challenging and much more difficult to follow Christ. But that doesn't mean that we just hunker down and hide, and it's one of my favorite expressions, by the way. My wife loves it when I use that, hunker down. (laughs) Hunker down and hide and bury ourselves in a cave and just wait until Jesus comes back. We are light. We are are light, together light. 1 John chapter 1 and John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 1 and John chapter 3. If you don't know about John, John was Jesus' BFF. He, they were buddies. They were close. Virtually all scholars agree on that fact that, that, Jesus, that John was the close one to Jesus. That's one of the reasons I like reading from John. I like John as the favorite account of the gospel that I like to go to when I'm studying John. I think he has a perspective probably that even the others would never be able to have because he was the closest. He was Jesus' friend. So when he's writing, he's writing from what he knows because he walked with Jesus. He's writing from what he knows because he was with Jesus on a daily basis for years, and so he knows what he saw. He knows who Jesus was. He knows what Jesus did. He knows the purpose of Christ's coming. He knows the purpose of the Holy Spirit staying. He knows all of this stuff because he actually walked with God. He actually walked with God while he was on this planet. And so we need to pay attention to those who had the voice of walking with God, especially John. John is one of my favorites. First John chapter one. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie, or if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I also like John because he's a straight shooter. He doesn't mince any words, he just gets right to the point. Verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another. It's an interesting turn right there, isn't it? I mean, you would think that if, if, if John is talking about walking in the light and he's, he's talking about fellowship with God, right? He's saying, this is the message we've heard from him and, and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He's talking about God, God being light, there's no darkness in God, and he's talking about fellowship with God. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, then we're liars and don't practice the truth. So when he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, where do you think he would naturally go as an explanation for living out that light? What, is the, what are the repercussions of living out the life? Wouldn't we think, well, let's be, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. Wouldn't that be kind of the natural answer that you'd put there? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. But John doesn't say that. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Isn't that interesting? The purpose of this community is light, and when we're walking in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. John chapter three, verse 19. John speaking again, same guy. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been seen in the sight of God. Everyone who does evil hates the light. They don't want to come into the light because they don't want anyone to see their deeds, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Truth and light. Truth and light, truth and light. God is love, God is also light. What does it mean that God is light? Way back uh, when I was in college, uh, I traveled with a musical team. We traveled to uh, different camps during the summertime and we'd travel in this van, this 12 passenger van, we had this 20 foot cargo trailer on it, you know, and I was always the driver so there was, you know, other people were allowed to drive. I just didn't trust other people driving. I'd let them drive and see how they drove, and then, you know, if they were, you know, going like this with a 20-foot trailer on the back, then I would take over, you know, or if there was this one guy, he was a great guy, loved him to death, one of my good friends, but he had this, he had this tendency to drive, you know, he would, instead of being able to keep his foot steady on the accelerator, just kind of be and then he'd let off because he'd get going too fast, and then he'd get down below the speed limit, and then we'd go the whole trip this way. About, about you know, every, every 15 seconds or so, we'd speed up, and then we'd slow back down in 15. Just as like, okay, this is, this is it, you're done. Uh, I'm not going like this the rest of the four-hour trip. And so we would, you know, we spent a lot of time driving together, and so one of the fun things that we would do would we'd stop at gas stations, or we'd stop at, at targets or things like that, and you know we didn't have a whole lot of money to spend, and so uh, but we were going, we we're camping, right? You know we're being counselors at camps, and one of the things you need when you're going camping is a flashlight, and so I kind of developed this affinity for flashlights while we were traveling, and because it was just one of the things you could actually afford and that actually worked, and so started with the maglite. Now this was before LED technology and LED lights, and so I started with the three-cell maglite, which is about 3D cell. 3D cell mag light, right? It's about, it's about that long. 
And if you've ever had a 3D cell, maglite is pretty cool because, you know, D cells are about that big around, and then you put three D cells in a flashlight, you've got a good, a good baton, you've got a good security thing. And then, but did you know that maglite makes a five cell, a 5D cell maglite? Do you, that thing is like a billy club. I mean, you've got this light, but you have got a weapon, and you have got a serious weapon that you probably need to have a license to carry, but you don't. It's a flashlight, and so you can carry this thing around. And so one of the things that we were charged with as we were counselors at this camp was security. And so it was our responsibility that the, that the students who were there are safe, right? And so at nighttime, one of the ways to keep students safe is to make sure that they stay in their cabin and don't get out and try to explore the woods in the middle of the night and get attacked by some kind of poisonous snake or bear or lion or tiger, you know, whatever. And uh, so our job was, pro- was providing security. And so we had these big lights. But um, one thing that also kind of happens when you're a counselor at a camp, and this isn't something that I'm proud of or that I brag of, but you're in control. And so you have some power. And so a lot of times when you have power, you tend to abuse that power. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so we had this absolute power in the cabin. And so we would, from time to time, abuse that power that we had. And so, you know, we have this big flashlight. And it's it's just kind of enjoyable from time to time in the middle of the night to go shine a bright flashlight in a sleeping child's face. I'm (laughs) not saying that I'm proud of it. I'm just telling you these are things that happened. And we may have from time to time made all of the students get up out of their beds in the middle of the night and go outside and do jumping jacks and play Red Rover and stuff like that, but uh, I'm not saying that did happen, I'm just saying it may or may not have happened at some point in time, and we would use these flashlights, but but the thing was, it was dark, and it was the middle of the night, and it was dark, and we'd bring these lights in, and we'd put them right in people's faces and shine the light on, and go, what do you think you're doing? And they would wake up, terrified, sleeping. Now, don't, don't go, oh, I mean, these are middle schoolers and high schoolers. You know what they're like. They treated us a certain way during the day, and we got back at night. So um, we would shine these bright 5D cell mag lights on them, and then, of course, we would go out and walk around the perimeter of the building and make sure all the windows were shut and everybody was safe. We would actually do the job we had been assigned to do, but we had these big lights, and, and it was really fun to shine the light into the darkness, and I think what has happened with us too many times as Christians in our culture is we like to take our lights and shine them in the faces of people who are sleeping and point out the brokenness. We like to take our big, bright, five-cell mag light and shine them in someone's face and say, you're not living up to a standard. You're not able to live up to the standard because you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, but you're not living up to the standard that I'm living up to. Look at me, and we walk, and we puff up our chest and live in pride. The point of this community, yes, is light. The point of this community is yes, so that we come together and we bring all of the lights together and they shine brighter. Yes, that is the point of this community. The point of this community is not though to send us out into the darkness and try to point out people's darkness. They're dark. They're living in the darkness. They're supposed to be dark. It is by living the light, not by trying to shine the light and condemn people with light, it's by living in the light that people see the light shining and then they glorify God. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The truth of God shines light on our lives.
It exposes the areas of our lives that were once darkness. And because of this false, this fake, this facade of a community that I'm afraid we've created in so many ways, we withdraw from the light because there's darkness. Or people who have never experienced the light and who don't have the power of the Spirit to help them walk in the light, they come in and of course they recoil because they don't know the light yet. Of course they shrink back because they are in the darkness. But if we're struggling with darkness in our lives, do not, please do not under any circumstances withdraw from the light-giving community of Jesus Christ. This is where you come to help shine your light, not where you hide the darkness. It takes humility to be in that kind of community. When we get together, our, our lights shine brighter. Our lights are brightened. In fact, I was going to uh, point out, I don't think any of these have burnt out lights in them, but these are LED lights, you, LED technology. Can everyone see that? Everyone, make sure I get everyone in the eyes at least once, right? Um, what do you see in this light? Lots of little lights. Somebody said it. You see lots of little lights in this light? Did anyone think that light was bright? If you pull one of those lights out, is it nearly as bright? I'm seeing lots of little lights right now. (laughs) When lots of lights come together, the total light is brighter you can shine the light into the darkness and people will see God. Purpose of this community, there's a lot more. By the way, there's no possible way I can cover the entire purpose of this community because like I said, it is about things like ethics and morals. This is where we learn the truth. This is where we learn how to live our lives. This is where we let God guide us and to the right kind of living. This is where we come and we, we experience the light so that the dark spots of our lives are revealed and we can confess those to God, we can lay those down and let them be behind us and walk forward with a brighter light. This, this, is, this is a part of this community, so don't, don't just limit it to these three things. That's a mistake. But I think these are foundational things that we need to have as a community. The purpose of this community is love. The purpose of this community is light. The purpose of this community is friendship with God. Friendship with God. We are friends of God. Jesus was friends with John. John is writing from his friendship with Jesus. He was a friend of God. You are a friend of God. For those of you who have come into faith and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a friend of God. If you are not yet in that faith and you feel like you're on the outside, God wants to invite you in and to be a friend with him. This does not mean that we're always buddy-buddy. This does not mean that there are not times when God is God and we are not, that there are not times when God reigns over us because he is God. We are not God. Of course he rules and reigns. Don't get that messed up. But we do get the opportunity to be friends with God. Listen to this.
If you don't feel like you know who Jesus is, could it be that you haven't immersed yourself yet in his body? If you feel like you don't know Jesus, then I would ask the question, have you immersed yourself in his body? What do I mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ and individually you're a member of that body. Romans chapter 12, verse four and five. Same thing. For as in one body we have many members. This is my body, I have many members. The members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. If you feel like you don't know who Jesus is, have you immersed yourself in his body? See, this, this body, these, these churches that are placed all over, this, all over this town, all over this county, all over this community, all over this country, these are the physical representation of Jesus Christ to the world. This is the Jesus that people will know. This is the Jesus that people will experience. We are the body of Christ. We all have roles to play. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has to play their part. But we are not just individuals any longer. Now we are covenant members of a community. Now we have come together and one of you may be a hand, but one of you is a wrist. Another one may be the forearm, another one may be the elbow. All of you are useless unless you come together under the banner of Jesus Christ. So when we come together, the point is to be friends with God. The point is that we are drawing closer to God by drawing, drawing closer to each other. And as we come closer to one another and as our light shines on someone else's life and their light shines back on our life and we are all shining lights together and the light of God's word and the light of the gospel is shining among us because we are committed to the covenant community of Jesus Christ and we're deep in God's word and learning what that means and what that looks like, then all of these lights come together and they shine the broken parts out and we turn and conform our lives more to be like Christ and we in turn have deeper intimacy with God. I just don't go to church because I don't get anything out of it. I don't go to church because I I just don't think church is for me. I'm not the church kind of person. You know, I'm the kind of person, well, if you want to know the kind of person that I am, I'm the kind of person that stays up and then sleeps in. I'm the kind of person that, well, the Seahawks are on. If you don't feel close to Jesus, maybe it's because you're not close to his body. If you don't feel close to Christ, maybe it's because you're not close to the body of Christ. Maybe you just need to be immersed in the community a little bit. Maybe you need to take your fellowship take some of the people who 
walk with you in this fellowship of believers, in this community of believers. Take some of the people and you need to go be the light to someone who's in darkness. Maybe you need to go to someone who can't get out and who can't walk and who can't be here on Sunday and you need to go shine your light so that their light can shine brighter because maybe their light is really struggling. See, it takes humility to be in community because we've gotten so adept to the idea that this thing is for me and when my needs aren't being met, I'm out. That's not Christ-centered community. That's not Christ-like community. Christ-like community is, I am in this thing. What can I do to help you? In fact, if you want to know what Christ-like community is, if you want to know what joy is, start here. Joy. Jesus, others, you. This is joy. I'm not a cheesy acronym kind of a guy, but this is a good one. Jesus, others, you. We should be this light as a community. Someone just texted in. We as a community are the light that the community sees. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Later in Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus again teachings, answers a question. The question is, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If you're feeling like things are out of whack in your life, if things aren't measuring up, if things just don't seem to be falling into place, then we need to put Jesus in the first place and maybe things will start to align again. Jesus first. Seek first his kingdom. This is the greatest commandment. Love God with all you have. The second is like it. Jesus, others. J-O, Matthew chapter 22. Same statement. Jesus says the second is like it. You should love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. And then you, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Find joy in this this morning. Matthew 5, 14, I don't know what that is, but somebody just shared it. Sermon on the Mount, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. You. Oh, they just texted the whole thing in. You are the light of the world. A city, a town built on, it, built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on a stand to provide light to the whole house. I didn't get the whole thing at once, so I'm paraphrasing. It gives, put it up on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You, Jesus first, others second. And you, who are you? Who do you think you are? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you're secure in your identity, you can walk humbly. When you're walking humbly, you can live in community need to understand that the darkness that we once lived in is not who we are, it's who we were, and who we are now is the righteousness of God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He did not sin, but God made him sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Who are you in Christ? You are, did you know you're a saint? This is how you are described. You are a priest. You are now able to go into the holy place. You are now able to go into a place where once a veil kept you out. You are now the righteousness of God. Not because of anything we've done, not because of our perfection and our ability to live perfect lives, but because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So, because of that, we seek first his kingdom, because we understand this great gift that we've been given. Because of that, we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. There is nothing that we hold back for ourselves. We give it all to God. We love others like we love ourselves. And how are we loved? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Once we come to Christ, our lives are no longer our own, but we now lay them down willingly for the good of the mission of God, for the good of the kingdom of God, for the good of the community of God. We lay our lives down. It takes humility to be in community. Would you stand this morning? Heavenly Father, I know that we have come from different places, gathered together now under this roof. And here we sit, gathered as your body, one body, the body of Christ. Many members, but I am a member of it. Many different parts, but I am a part. Wherever we have been, whatever we have struggled with, whatever has weighed us down, whatever has maybe puffed us up, whatever it is that has brought us into this week that wasn't of you, I pray, Father, that gathered together now in this body with the light of God shining brightly among us, that you would reveal that to us and that you would help us to leave that darkness behind and to be once again clothed in the light of Jesus Christ, to once again be the righteousness of God. Father, I pray that as we gather together in these few moments that we have left and as we look at your son and the sacrifice that he paid for us on the cross and as we see that for the amazing, miracle, wonderful thing that it is, that we would willingly and even joyfully leave behind things that we're clinging to, leave behind the things that are holding on to us that are not of you and that we would find life that we would find light, that we would find love, and that we would find joy in you this morning. For anyone who's struggling right now under the weight of whatever that is, Father, I pray that you would give them the power through your Holy Spirit to let that go, that they would see that who they have been made to be is not who they were and that who they are now is the righteousness of God, that they would leave that behind, that they would find their identity in who you say that they are, not in who this world is trying to label them, but they would find their identity in Christ alone. So Father, we thank you that you've given us this free gift, this wonderful, amazing gift that's really hard to explain, that's really hard to understand in its entirety, but we thank you for it, we praise you for it, we thank you that you came and walked 
that you became sin even though you were perfect, that you nailed our sin, that you carried the burden of our sin to that cross, and that's how much you loved us. We thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Messiah. We thank you, Redeemer. We thank you, our faithful provider, the God who was, the God who always will be, the God who is right now. In Jesus' name, amen. We have four kids, Hannah, Henry, Harry, and Harper. Harper is the youngest. She's a fireball. And, uh, but one of the things that I've always loved about Harper is her trust. And uh, one of the great things that she would do even uh, from a young age is, uh, you know, jump, expecting you to catch her, right? She would, wouldn't always, though, wait until you were ready. But she knew you were going to catch her every time, and she was just going to jump anyway. A lot of the struggle we have is because we've falsely defined God by our own terms. God is perfect. God is always the same yesterday, today, and forever but we've messed up and we've made mistakes and people around us have messed up and have made mistakes. Our fathers and our parents and those looking over us have made mistakes and we've jumped and they weren't ready to catch us and we've fallen. But God, our Father, is always ready. He's always ready to catch you. He is always ready when you're ready to jump. When you're ready to go in all the way with him, when you're ready to take that step and believe in what he did for us, he's always ready. So ready, in fact, that 2,000 years ago, he paid the price for us to be able to jump today. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've ever put your faith in Jesus Christ, but if you do, it's as simple as believing. Yes, we're broken. We're sinners. We need to walk away from some stuff, but we need to believe in what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross and what he's calling us into, the kingdom of God. He's calling us in to be sons and daughters, and now we get to inherit the kingdom of God, and that's what we're called into, and then we commit our lives to following him. We, we give everything. We deny ourselves, and we take up the cross of what God has given to us, and this is what it means, but if you're ready to jump, then I invite you to jump with us this morning. And take this, not because it's a tradition, not because it's something that we've always done, but because we deeply, passionately, immensely believe in what this represents that Jesus did for us on that cross.